On this week's episode of the Big Deeks Podcast, we go through all the latest news as we prepare for our round one clash against St Kilda. I go through the winner's VIP lounge after a pre-season win against Port Adelaide. I go through a potential round one lineup as well as our match preview for this Sunday. And we finish off with the forever green, you're quite brilliant Q&A. I'm your host as always, and you are listening to the Big Deeks Podcast. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode two of this year. Pretty cruisy week, no preseason matches to look forward to. However, the excitement is starting to build to our round one clash against St. Kilda. And we're only a few days away from the opening match of the season with Carlton and Richmond. As I said, the excitement is starting to build up, but I am keeping a relatively cool head, especially considering how excited I was last year. But regardless, the Dockers will kick off their season on Sunday against St. Kilda at Marvel Stadium at approximately 1.40pm Western Australian time, of course. I think this match will be more about the story rather than the game itself, with us obviously playing our old coach Ross Lyon and arguably our most successful coach, with Ross the Boss coaching the same club he took the three grand finals before joining the Dockers. But before we get into that, let's kick things off with this week's edition of the Docker Recap. Jager O'Meara has suffered an apparent ankle injury. After leaving the field with a limp and a possible ankle injury, Fremantle newcomer Jager O'Meara is no certainty to play against St Kilda at Marvel Stadium. After a harmless incident during a handball practice, O'Meara began cautiously jogging off the ground as a trainer quickly began to strapping his left ankle. O'Meara stayed off for a while and then came back on for some stoppage work, but he didn't appear to be at 100%. He'll be one to monitor during the week as he looks to make his official club debut this Sunday. Luke Ryan also looked a bit proppy, but otherwise participated in the main training group as he looks to recover from a back soreness concern. Michael Walters spent most of his session alongside young tall Max Noble testing out his sore Achilles with various running and jumping drills. Although he arrived shortly after the rest of his team, Walters appeared to be sprinting at or near full speed a positive sign for his chances on taking on the Saints this Sunday. Following his absence from the two pre-season scrap matches and the second intra-club, fellow forward Michael Frederick put in a terrific training session and appears to have a very good chance of returning from a quad injury in the first game of the season. And with that being said, this caps off the Docker recap for episode 2. Now let's move on to the Winners VIP Lounge for our second pre-season match against Port Adelaide. It was a very solid performance against a team that many people consider should be fighting for a top 8 spot this year, with the Dockers defeating the power 13-14-92 to 8-13-61. Similar to the preseason match against Adelaide a few weeks ago, I thought our midfield was clearly on top and dominated for the first part of the game. The group of Andrew Brayshaw, Caleb Sarong, Will Brody, and Jake Gorimira dominated the clearances and contested footy, with those first three names mentioned combined for a total of 104 disposals. Sean Darcy played about 90% ruck due to his partner in crime Luke Jackson not participating due to a head knock. But even up against one of the league's premier ruckmen in Scott Lysette, 
was clearly the better Ruckman of the day, being terrific all over the ground, and especially in the Ruck work, where he tapped down the textbook Ruck to Rover to Sam Swakowski, who finished on the right foot. Getting into the winner's VIP lounge, and I'm pretty sure I gave this man the BOG last week against Adelaide, but I've gone with him again. I've chosen Nat Five for his three-goal performance. He kicks three in the Dockers' second intra-club match. He kicked three against Adelaide a few weeks ago, and last week he's kicked another three against Port Adelaide. His performances as a forward are just getting better and better as we come closer to the official start of the season. At the end of the match, Nat Five kicked three goals, had 15 disposals, six marks, two tackles, eight score involvements, including two goal assists to Matt Tabiner. You could argue the case that he wasn't technically the best player on the ground, which I'll get to in a second, but I definitely thought he was the most influential player on the ground. As I said earlier, Nat Five has now kicked nine goals from three games, and after a fantastic preseason, Fife looks primed for another big year. I don't think he'll win another Brownlow because he's going to be playing now 80% forward and about 20% midfield. The inclusion of someone like Jager O'Meara clearly points that out. But like I said last week in my predictions for Frio, I think Fifey is certainly capable of making an All-Australian. And if his preseason games are anything to go off by, it looks like Nat Fife will be better as a forward the more games he plays. Since even though he started his career as a forward, He's been a contested beast in the midfield for the better part of a decade now. So with more game time to understand, learn, and work on his forward craft, which he alluded to after dropping the captaincy this year, we are very well on our way to seeing Nat Fife become potentially one of the most dangerous forwards in the competition. Next up in the winner's VIP lounge in the runner-up, and for this nomination, I have a man who very well could have been best on ground, since his stats are absolutely through the roof but I've gone with big-bodied midfielder Will Brody, who had 36 disposals, 4 marks, 6 tackles, 9 total clearances, 5 inside 50s, 5 score involvements, and a total of 16 contested possessions. It looks as if Will Brody isn't even considering taking a step backwards after his breakout season in 2022, and is looking to become even better for his second season as a docker. And finally, for my last nomination, the Frio hero, I've selected Jager O'Meara. He started the game pretty slow, sitting on the bench for the majority of the first quarter. But once he came onto the ground, I felt like he set a tone for the other midfielders and players for us. He finished off the game with 22 disposals, 4 marks, 5 tackles, 5 clearances, 4 inside 50s, 4 score involvements, 15 pressure acts, and 7 contested possessions. I could have given this nomination to basically any other Fremantle player that played in this game. I felt like Josh Tracy and Sam Sturt were both extremely impressive. Sam Swakowski did a lot of good things. Sean Darcy absolutely dominated Scotty Lysette, as I said earlier. But I feel like this game perfectly pictures just how good Jager O'Meara has gotten since the preseason. We were all pretty excited when he came over, especially considering he's been rumoured to go to Freo for basically the better part of a decade now but he is starting to show some seriously good leadership, and according to his teammates, has not missed a beat since he came over to Frio in the trade period. So hopefully he can put his ankle injury behind him and participate in Sunday's game. Speaking of Sunday's game, let's move on to what I think a round one liner will look like against St Kilda. Instead of naming one position on the ground, explaining my thought process and then moving on to the next position, I'll name the entire round one lineup and then discuss my thought process after I'm done naming it. So starting off with the back line, we have Heath Chapman, Brennan Cox, Luke Ryan, 
Then to the halfback, we have Hayden Young, Alex Pierce, Jordan Clark. Then moving on to the midfield, we have Ethan Hughes on one wing, Andrew Brayshaw in the center, then James Aish on the other wing. Moving on to the half forwards, we have Lockie Schultz, Luke Jackson, and Sam Sturt. We have Nat Fife as the first forward pocket, Matt Taberner as the full forward, and Sam Swakowski as the other forward pocket. Sean Darcy is obviously the ruckman, and below him he has Caleb Sarong and Will Brody. On the bench, we have Josh Tracy, Brandon Walker, Bailey Banfield, and Matthew Johnson, with the many sub being Liam Henry. Before I go through, I just want to say that any Fremantle players that are potentially injured this week, I did not include. That's why guys like Michael Frederick, Michael Walters, and quite recently, Jay Gromira with the ankle injury. However, at the same time, I did include Luke Ryan in the lineup because it's only a back soreness, and as of today, he's basically 100%. So I really doubt, unless he sustains another injury during this week, that he'll miss this match against St. Kilda. I think the back six is relatively straightforward. Brennan Cox is the tallest key defender, so he goes at full back, while Alex Pierce is the mobile key defender, so he moves to center half back. Heath Chapman and Luke Ryan are the back pockets because of their size and athleticism. Hayden Young is at halfback because of his lethal left foot and the fact that I feel like he was pushing up the ground more in both the preseason matches, with Jordan Clark being the other halfback because of his speed and his accuracy at goal. The midfield also speaks for itself, I feel. Brayshaw is the center because he's arguably the best two-way runner in the competition. Caleb Sorong and Will Brody are our next two best midfielders, so they're the ruck over and ruck rover. And the fact that in the preseason match against Adelaide, Sean Darcy started in the ruck while Luke Jackson floated down forward. Which is why I have Sean Darcy as the starting ruck, while Jackson is at the center half forward. If I had one glaring issue with this team, I feel like the forward line is a little too tall. You have Lockie Schultz and Sam Swakowski, who are the pressure players, alongside Bailey Banfield, who's on the bench. But then you have Luke Jackson, Nat Fife, Matt Taberner, Sam Sturt, and Josh Tracer, who's on the bench. So, again, I feel like a forward line may be a little too tall, but considering how it worked it well in the preseason matches, I don't think it'll be that much of an issue. And that's the main reason why I have Bailey Banfield starting over Liam Henry, because I feel like Bailey Banfield is better as playing a pressure forward than Liam Henry is. And another big thing that I saw in the preseason was the fact that Ethan Hughes looks a lot better on the wing than guys like Liam Henry do. So that's why I have him starting on the field opposed to Henry, who's the sub. Another issue that people might have is the fact that I've selected Matthew Johnson over Neil Erasmus. But keep in mind, Jaguar O'Meara can't be in this lineup because I consider him injured. I think Johnson is just a fingernail ahead of Neil Erasmus. And unlike him, Matthew Johnson actually played in the preseason match against Port when he didn't. So I think the club at the moment also has Johnson ahead of Erasmus, which is why I expect him to make his official debut on Sunday. But that is if Jago O'Meara is unavailable. And that is my predicted round one lineup against St. Kilda. Now let's move on into the match preview slash prediction. Going into our first match of the season against St. Kilda at Marvel Stadium, I'm actually very confident that the Dockers can get the job done. Considering the Saints beat us this time last year at home, thanks to the help of Max King and Jack Higgins, who both kicked four goals. However, only Higgins will be available to play, as both Max King and Tim Membry, the two Saints' key forwards, will miss the game due to injury. With the Dockers becoming one of the best away teams in the competition last year, when they went on to play St. Kilda at Marvel Stadium late last year, 
They absolutely pumped them and ended up kicking the highest score tally for the season with 111 points. Even with the strategic mastermind that is Ross the Boss now coaching the Saints, I feel like this Saints team that's currently available doesn't have the right tools or the firepower to knock down the Dockers. Because of that, I'm going to tip Fremantle to win this game. For the predicted best on ground, I'm going to pick this man for the fourth week in a row now. I've gone Nat Fife. Not only has his consistency through the preseason been absolutely awesome to watch, but Nat Fife's best performance last year was actually against the Saints, where he kicked another bag of three goals, had 21 disposals, six marks, had 10 score involvements, and 10 contested possessions. So not only has Nat Fife timed his performances and his body right, but he also has a good history of playing against the Saints. And against Ross the Boss, it would be that much sweeter to see. So I'm going to tip Nat Fife as my best on ground. Next up is the predicted Frio hero, and I've chosen Josh Tracy will kick plus three goals in his first game for the Dockers since round 9, 2022. Another player who I feel has timed his run to perfection, and the fact that the Saints are probably going to target one of three players, with that being Luke Jackson, Matt Tabernett, and Nat Fife, that frees up Josh Tracy to go absolutely nuts. And unfortunately for the big kahuna, I think everyone's forgotten just how good this guy can be. So hopefully he can live up to all of that and more in our round one match. Next up is the opposition's lookout player, and I have chosen a returning Jack Steele. Aside from Andrew Brayshaw, Jack Steele is probably the best two-way runner in the competition. Speaking of, that matchup is going to be intriguing to watch. Two of the best two-way runners in the competition going head-to-head. -head. As we know, Fremantle aren't exactly a good side when opposition teams apply pressure to us, and Jack Steele is the epitome of that. If he's able to get a good run and lay a lot of tackles as he usually does, he could give us some serious headaches. Jack Higgins is another player we have to look out considering his performance in round two last year where he kicked four goals. Rowan Marshall is also a crucial player and I'm very intrigued to see how he goes up against Sean Darcy and Luke Jackson. And finally, we have the game's big call and I'm going to say Frio will pump St. Kilda by 40 plus and send a statement throughout the league that we are still one of the top teams in this competition. Okay, that's the best question you can come up with after two hours of footy. You're quite brilliant, Shane. Yeah, terrific. A little bit awkward playing that clip considering we are literally playing against the guy that set that famous clip for the Dockers. I'm obviously referring to Ross Lyon. But nonetheless, it's time to end this week's episode with the You're Quite Brilliant Q&A. And we start things off with at Bodie underscore Derek 11. Would it be possible that Mitch Georgiades could be a docker? A few weeks ago, head WA journalist Ryan Daniels said that Mitch Georgiades or Aaron Norton could potentially end up a docker. However, I wouldn't call it a rumor just yet, considering the only thing we know about Mitch Georgiades is the fact that he's out of contract at the end of the season. So the trade rumor was a bit of more putting two pieces together and seeing what works. I feel like Aaron Norton is too big of a fish to catch considering we only have one first rounder, one second rounder, I think we have about two or three third rounders and one fourth rounder coming up in the draft. And with him still being contracted at the Dogs means that Norton would have an even bigger price tag on him. Georgiades is definitely a more likely at target considered he was rumoured to potentially go to West Coast last during the trade period as a sort of potential swap for Junior Rioli, but of course that didn't end up happening. 
Plus, this is my own opinion, but I think the Dockers are at a stage now where we have a good enough key forward depth that we don't necessarily need Georgiades. Like, don't get me wrong, it'd be absolutely handy to bring Georgiades to Frio, but it's not like we desperately need him. We've got Tabner, Jackson, and Fife who are both capable key forwards. We've got a young gun in Joe Amos coming up, Josh Tracy, Sam Sturt's a bit quack. So we're definitely at a point now where we're not on our knees crying for a key forward. But I would say there is a strong possibility he could end up a docker. He's obviously not contracted, which means he wouldn't be that expensive to bring over. This would obviously mix in with the fact that does he want to go home and does he think he's getting a good enough opportunity at Port Adelaide with the power already possessing key forwards like Charlie Dixon, Jeremy Finlayson and Todd Marshall. But yes, I would say there is a possibility that Georgiades could end up a docker. Next question by at Aiden Lucas underscore. If you had to pick a team for Frio to beat in the grand final, which team would you pick? Well, I mean, it's got to be West Coast, doesn't it? Like, yeah, they can flex over the fact that they've got four premierships and one not. Hell, you could have the most premierships out of any team in the competition. But if you lose one grand final to a state rival like the Dockers, that is the ultimate bragging right. And it also helps that West Coast are at the other end of the ladder right now. So if I had to pick a team for Freo to beat in the grand final, I would pick West Coast. And the crazy thing is, is that... And the crazy thing is, is that a Western Derby Grand Final is not as impossible as it sounds. In fact, it's nearly happened twice. In the 2006 Grand Final, West Coast obviously played Sydney in the Grand Final rematch. West Coast defeated Adelaide to progress into the Grand Final, but it was Frio who lost to Sydney at the SCG and failed to make the Grand Final. While in 2015, West Coast defeated an 8th place North Melbourne to get to the Grand Final, while Frio lost to Hawthorne. So as crazy as the possibility of a Western Derby Grand Final sounds, the reality is, is that it could have happened if the Dockers actually won a game. Next question from at Gillies4866, what is your favourite Frio Guernsey ever? I think the 2021 retro jumper absolutely has to be in this conversation. If you are an AFL club that's looking to redesign a pre-existing jumper, look at the 2021 retro jumper from the Dockers. That is how you do a redesign. It's simple, it's clean, and it pleases the fans. However, I would say my favourite Fremantle jumper of all time, and I hope it's one the Dockers do consider redesigning in a few years, is the 2001 to 2004 away jumper. To refresh your memory, it's the one with the white anchor in the center, followed by the red, purple, and red stripes down the middle. I think this is just simply a beautiful jumper to look at. It's balanced, it looks clean, and it stands out in the right way. I'd also consider the 2005 away jumper as well, which is basically just the same thing, except the font with the number on it is way more bold. I'd even consider the home jumper they used as well, which is basically, again, the white anchor down the middle, but the right side on top of the anchor is green, the left side on top of the anchor being red, with the rest of the jumper then being purple. I think that jumper as a redesign would probably do way better, considering the Dockers have become far more purple since they used that jumper back in 2004. But nonetheless, my favourite Frio jumper of all time is the away jumper they used between 2001 and 2005. Next question is at Aussie underscore Gunzel. 
if West Coast don't win the spoon, who does? I'm currently in the process of making my AFL predictions for 2023 on my YouTube channel. It's literally just big digs on YouTube, so go check that out and subscribe if you haven't already. But I think the main contenders for the Wooden Spoon outside of West Coast would be Hawthorne, GWS, Essendon, and North Melbourne. At Cobra.Jefferies, do you do AFL Fantasy? I do take part in AFL Fantasy, but I'm not one of those guys who go head over heels for it. Like, I know the basics and what I'm doing, and I can tell the difference between a good and bad trade. I'm definitely more of a casual player, and I will name my team right now so you can get a good look at what I'm working with. In the back line, I have Luke Ryan, Tom Stewart, Nick Dacos, Charlie Constable, Liam Jones, Connor McKenna. I have Rory Laird in the midfield as my captain, Caleb Sarong, Connor Rosie, Errol Goulden, James Warpole, Finn Callahan, Will Ashcross, and Ruin Gimby. In the rucks, I have Jarrett Witts and Sean Darcy. In the forward line, I have Josh Dunkley as my vice-captain, Stephen Canilio, Tim Taranto, Fergus Green, Harry Sheasel, Luke Pedler. And on the bench, I have Will Gold, Chamble Chesler, Alex Chincotter, Matthew Johnson, Lloyd Meek, Oscar Allen, Sam Sturt, and Samson Ryan. At Sam underscore Kelly's 118's most hated team other than the Eagles has to be St. Kilda. I'm sorry, I don't know why, but I just have this burning passion against St. Kilda. And the thing is, I don't know where it's come from. It's not like Frio and St. Kilda are playing close games, so I'm not getting my heart ripped out looking at you, Carlton. But I think it has something to do I did in like year six or something. But basically, my old school used to do this like speech competition where you would just read out a speech and whoever said the speech the best and whoever had the best written speech, regardless if it was original or not, would receive this like certificate reward or something. So what I did is that I took that one song that we've all heard of, I Love It When Collingwood Choke, and I basically made a St. Kilda iteration of that song. And I didn't even say it. When the day came, I gave it to a mate of mine, shout out to you, Jaden, and he went in front of the entire school and said the whole two-minute version of that song. And the teacher that was running that English class, the one that I was in, Apparently, her dad was a massive St. Kilda supporter. So once this competition was over, Jaden didn't win, by the way, she printed out a second copy of that song, showed it to her dad, and apparently he found it funny, or at least that's what she told me. And ever since that day, I've just had a burning passion against St. Kilda, even though they've done nothing to hurt me. And yeah, that's basically the story on how I became a Saints hater. And finally, the last question from Kai underscore four five seven six six is, how does Jai Amos look this year? Okay, what I'm about to say next might be a little bit controversial, but I think, based on what we've seen in the preseason matches, Jai Amos has has underperformed a little bit. Now, keep in mind that dude's only 19. We're not expecting him to kick 60 goals or something. And also, can I just add a little bit of a side note onto this? The fact that people like Paul Hazelby are predicting Amos to kick like 40 plus goals for a dude that is 19 is absolutely ridiculous. Like, please just put a lid on it and calm down for a little bit. But I think what people need to understand is that, yes, he is only 19. He still has two good years left in him to develop and become a key forward for us. Like I said last week, Matt Tamina took basically an entire decade before he started playing good footy. So, we need to be patient, take a step back, allow Amos to develop without being pressured to play good footy immediately, 
and then see the reward in the further future. And with that being said, this finishes off this week's episode. As I said at the start, the excitement for 40 finally being back on again is slowly building, but I have no doubt when Thursday rolls around, and especially on Sunday, I'll be more than pumped to see the footy back on again. So until then, I've been your host, and this has been the Big Digs Podcast.